Hello, and welcome to Tech Connects, Dice's podcast where we dig into topics on tech hiring, recruiting, and careers that matter to you. I'm your host, Nick Kolakowski, and I'm going to talk to great guests every month about the current state of the tech careers world, including the tech job market, the hottest tech skills, what companies are doing to attract and retain technologists in a historically tight market, and much more. Today's guests are Jacob Little, Glassdoor Senior Head of People Experience and DEI, and Stuart McCullough, Evolution Managing Partner. I was interested in speaking to them because of their deep backgrounds in DEI, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion, particularly in how DEI programs can potentially improve a company's internal diversity and culture. Back in 2020, Glassdoor noticed that users were joining companies that had high ratings on its platform, but once they arrived at their new employer, they found an unwelcoming environment. Glassdoor then partnered with Evolution, a coaching, culture, and leadership development firm, on a two-pronged mission to boost DEI within Glassdoor and to better infuse DEI principles into the platform itself. It was a complicated mission that produced some interesting results. So let's listen in. Thank you for joining. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, and as I was mentioning to Jacob before we began this this discussion, I've been having a lot of chats lately with a lot of people about DEI and how people are approaching it organizationally and also in terms of whatever they produce, whatever their product is, how they are sort of trying to, to bake their efforts and their work on DEI into what they produce, what they share to the world. Um, and so what intrigued me about the two of you is that, just to rewind back to 2020, and please correct me if I'm getting this wrong, but Glassdoor noted that users on the platform were joining companies that had great ratings that seemed fantastic based on you know, all the readouts and everything that, but they weren't fans of the culture once they got there. Um, and so Glassdoor and Evolution essentially we're dealing with two missions and one was upgrading the internal culture, but then also trying to improve the user culture to take DEI into account. That's off the top of my head. Did I, did I get that right? Or am I completely just wildly off base with that? Yeah, that's, that's correct. And just to, to share a little bit of the story um, for your listeners, my name is Jacob Little. I'm the head of Thank people you. experience yes. and DEI at Glassdoor. And I started uh, right before the pandemic in December of 2019. And I was hired as the director of learning and development, but because of my background, which maybe we can get into a little bit later, I found myself having far more conversations about diversity, equity, and inclusion at Glassdoor than I did about L&D. And um, about three months in, I got a LinkedIn message um, from a job seeker who used Glassdoor's top 10 best places to work list that we release every year. Uh, and she accepted a job with one of those companies. And she shared that she felt so confident that it would be a good experience for her because it was on our list. And then she got to the company and discovered a culture of microaggressions, men taking credit for her work. Um, she mentioned Thanks. that even the white supremacist hand signal was flashed in a company all hands. And just oh, God. an incredible amount of negative things happened to her very quickly. And she and a group of other women of color resigned in protest. And she, you know, she sent me this note detailing everything she experienced. And then the last line of her note, which I'll never forget, was if Glassdoor would just give me the ability to filter reviews by people like me, that would be so much more empowering. And uh, when I forwarded her note to our company leaders, uh, I learned that this feature had been sort of in the parking lot for many, many years. Uh, this was not a new idea and something that hadn't never been considered, but it had never been prioritized. 
because we had no people of color in a position of power and influence at the company to say, hey, this would be really impactful for my community. And so I, I tell this story to talk about the real opportunity cost that organizations who lack diversity, particularly in senior leadership roles. And you know, Glassdoor, we missed years of opportunity to be the go-to site for underrepresented job seekers to get information that empowers them. Hmm. Now, the, the positive side of that story is um, we did prioritize it. Once our leaders understood how many millions of people this could positively impact. And you know, several months after this letter um, was sent to us, we had a task force of people working on it. It's my first time being a part of a product work stream, which was thrilling. Um, and we rolled out the ability for users to upload their demographic info. And then several months after that, we started filtering ratings and reviews uh, by that demographic info. So, great story of how DEI can transform uh, your product and make it better for more users. Cool. And then, and then, Stuart, how do you how do you intersect with this? What 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 was what? Where do you come into this? this yeah, well, this story um, this flow. I'll just say that one of the things that was interesting for me when I first met Glassdoor was to see how interested and how passionate people were about addressing this particular issue. And we, um, I met Jacob because Evolution had been working with um, Glassdoor to develop a leadership program. And that leadership program was not necessarily focused on DEI, but Jacob and other people within Glassdoor wanted to have components of that brought into the leadership program. And ultimately, the reason why I think that's so important is because having fluency and skill in navigating diverse people, people's experiences, people's cultures, languages, um, points of view is the new leadership skill for the 21st century. It's not something that people can sort of sit back and just accept, oh, if I'm really good at one dimension of leadership, if I'm good at you know product or if I'm good at engineering, I'm going to be the best leader ever. But no, we have to have that kind of skill, especially at the senior leadership level. And so um, what I enjoyed was I came in, I was like, okay, well, let's try this stuff. And I remember keep asking Jacob and... Um, Stephanie, who I have to give a big shout out, we'll say her full name in a second, but um, and Karina and the other folks. Um, but I was kept saying, well, how about if we try this? And they were like, well, we're curious. And I was very surprised about how curious they were about pushing the envelope as opposed to a normal, I never say normal, but a, you know, sort of I see a lot of DEI programs out there and they're very <laughs> knowledge-based, but we wanted to have an experiential and a cathartic experience so people could really shift and understand how to connect with many diverse people. It's interesting because it's in terms of catharsis, in terms of getting people to buy in on whatever term you want to use, emotional level, spiritual level to something like this. A is not something I've ever heard people mention in the context of DEI. It seems like a lot of people are very formulaic in the approach. Like, you know, we do X, Y, and Z, and this will translate into better results on the other end. But how do you know if it's working? How do you know, how do you know that you've touched people in that way and that people have like truly internalized it and that they're actually going to do it? I mean, like what, I mean, is it, is it something that can be boiled down to something as prosaic almost as like KPIs? Is it like a, for want of a better term, a feeling? Like, how do you, how do you know that the, 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 the rock is moving up the hill? 
Yeah. Um, this is, this is really one of the things that I appreciate about Stuart and evolution is so many people want the checklist (laughs) of, uh, of ways to, to create a culture of DEI and Stuart and evolution rightfully so refused to give us the checklist and actually wanted to engage in a relationship with us, get to know the company and start to cultivate mindset shift. Hmm. And you know, one of the things that we believe at Glassdoor and that I believe really strongly is that in order to create lasting, sustainable change, you have to tackle it from two sides. And one really important one is the process and policy side and starting to rebuild systems and processes that have historically perpetuated inequity. But equally as important is the mindset shift and the spiritual shift that an organization has to go through. And in order for an organization to change, every individual in that organization must change. And so Stuart and Evolution really helped us um, identify the key processes that we needed to change and cultivate the mindset change that went along with it, which is why um, incorporating DEI into our flagship leadership development program, Leading at Glassdoor, was so impactful because it cultivated that mindset shift that allowed our process and policy changes around hiring and promotion, for example, to be effective. And there are examples of process change that aren't effective. And I'll use the NFL's um, Rooney Rule as an example, where they implemented this many, many years ago. uh, And the data shows that that process change has not been effective because it wasn't accompanied by a mindset shift. Mm-hmm. And at Glassdoor, we have seen that when you focus on both, you actually get different outcomes. I mean, uh, just to highlight that a little bit, I think, so the way that evolution looks at any change is in three dimensions, the individual, the collective, and the systemic. And there's lots of theories as, and, and you know, people who will hear this will, will um, who understand especially integral theory will be like, oh, I get where, where you're coming from. But my thing is there's a lot of individual coaching is a very powerful tool to help change individual perspective. It's not necessarily used, though we're seeing it more used now, to create a, a collective change. And that collective change is not necessarily, as, as Jacob was saying, process-oriented. It is a felt <clears throat> sense. And so you can measure it. So you asked earlier, like, what is the, what is the most sort of um, simple element? Is it a KPI or is it a felt sense? It's actually both. It's you measure feelings, you translate something into a measurement so that you can say, how are we feeling? What are we saying? What are we experiencing? And that is that I, we, it, that individual, collective, and systemic perspective. And so and, and when we do work with clients, we actually say, well, what are the areas that we want to work with first by, in, as Jacob said, by, by going in and talking to the clients, where are they strongest? Where do they struggle the most? And then we go and create the right environment for that, that part of their, their um, system to flourish. So in tech every year, a lot of these companies like Facebook or, or Meta or Google or whatever, they release these diversity reports that inevitably show, and smaller companies do it as well. I mean, Jacob, I'm sure you can, you know, and Stuart both, I mean, I'm sure you've worked with tons of smaller companies also doing this. They release a diversity report. It has, unfortunately, a lot of the time kind of incremental progress in terms of 
creating a workforce that's truly kind of representative. Um, and then, especially in the case of some of them, during the summary, this goes to the systemic thing you were talking about, Stuart. In the summary, they're always like, oh, the problem is the educational pipeline isn't yeah, you know, exactly. diverse enough. And so therefore, our company isn't diverse enough. And therefore, we're sort of washing our hands of it. We're very sorry. We've only, you know, the percentages have only adjusted a little bit, but our hands are tied. Um, I assume that you've talked to people who make that argument or have that mindset because I mean, I've certainly heard it a lot. And I'm just wondering, like, what's your what's your take on that? What's your approach to that? If somebody says that, what's your what's your reaction? Because it seems almost like they're they're sort of punting the problem away in a way. It seems like it can't just be like a pipeline issue or an education issue or whatever. It's got to be other stuff as, as we've been talking about. Yeah, maybe I'll take a shot at this, Jacob, first, okay. if you don't mind. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've heard lots of that, especially over the, the, the variety of companies that we look at. And I, um, I don't think it's so much a punting of the issue. It's an unwillingness to do the hard work to change where you look for talent. And I feel that a lot of times people pattern match when they're looking for talent in the four schools that the leaders went to or the six, you know, areas or geographical areas that, 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 that are, that people are concentrated in. And so, um, we really try and help people to look at, well, there is a vast pool of folks that you can pull from. If you open your aperture just a little bit wider, if you take the blinders and go, well, let me just go like this, <laughs> as opposed to staying in this, in the sort of the <laughs> narrow focus that you have. Right. So let's just open it just a little bit wider. Oh, look, there's all these other people out here. You're like, yay, great. If you open it up just a little bit wider, you'll see even more people. Right. And so, um, I don't want to. I don't want to make it like so reductive, but it. But it really is usually about a. We're looking with our lens in one particular area for talent, as opposed to let's look at a larger. Yeah, and just to just to piggyback on that, the, I I was the head of TA Glassdoor for about a year and a half, and you know I've heard this argument of like, oh, there's not enough. Um, there's not enough qualified underrepresented talent to fill our job, so we're just going to default to what we know. And the problem with that argument is that it puts the uh, the onus of the problem on underrepresented folks when they, <laughs> underrepresented folks are not the problem. The problem is the system that we're in that has historically benefited people who look like me. And um, it requires a mindset shift on how we think about talent. And we have to start, we have to recognize that there are millions of talented, skilled, passionate, underrepresented talent whose resumes don't look like the typical candidates um, that we would hire for these jobs. And June Chen, our, our VP of IT, um, she said, uh, the best resume is not always the best candidate. And so we've had to create that mindset shift to accompany the process shift in our hiring process to teach managers to look for skill set and aspiration and potential over pedigree and affiliation. There's been a lot of news. And I mean, we also, we, we see it because, I mean, at DICE, we're also obviously analyzing tons of employment data and things like that, where companies are desperate for tech talent. The, the tech unemployment rate, despite all the headlines about, you know, economic uncertainty and fears of recession and so on, is still 2.2%, which historically is really low. 
which means that companies are, you would think that companies would be motivated, as you said, to search for talent wherever they can find it. They're looking at alternative things, you know, people who are self-taught, people who didn't go to, you know, Stuart, as you were saying, you know, these four schools or these six schools or whatever. Um, you would think they would be doing that. But I mean, are they actually doing all of this? Are they actually, Stuart, are they actually taking your advice and going out there and saying, hey, there's a whole broad world of very cool talent out there and we can find it in these other places? Or do you think that's, that's, there's progress that needs to be done on that front? Yeah. I mean, my, my experience is that there's some progress, but it's not so much about finding talent. It's how do you develop your talent once you have them in the door? And I feel for a lot of underrepresented folks, that is where there's a lot of struggle. There isn't a clear path to promotion. There isn't a, a clear path to advancement. And the path to advancement seems subjective. And that's where people get in trouble. So, you know, people will say, well, you know, we want to make you a VP and, but, you know, you're not, you're not doing, you're not developing or you're not showing enough VP skills. And they're like, well, what is that? <laughs> and the list changes from week to week or from month to month. And, it, you know, people get frustrated and rightly so. It's like, give me a, a goal and I'll shoot for that goal. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I, I'll just say that I hope that when people are listening to this to realize, yes, it's great to open your aperture to get more underrepresented folks, but what do you do to support them once they're there, right? How do you develop? And as Jacob was saying, if you do that, you'll have a much more um, resilient organization because you have so many different diverse experiences and it's not just the ideas that float to the top for a few. It's the ideas that, that, that many people are looking for that will float to the top. Yeah, yeah. And when, when we, as Stuart said, broaden our aperture of the types of people that we bring into the organization, we have to recognize that they may have different development needs, particularly if you're coming in from different industries. Uh, there's a bit of a learning curve when you join a tech company. And L&D programs are supposed to cater to the needs of employees. And so why aren't we willing to rethink the way we develop, grow, and nurture underrepresented talent? Uh, and so I think this is a great example of how commitment to DEI offers an opportunity for organizations to rethink a lot of the core systems, processes, and programs that they have in place and actually make them more effective for the needs of the workforce today. And this has positive effects, not just across people, but across the results that the company uh, is able to achieve because a commitment to DEI means that your leaders are using empathy to understand the experiences, perspectives, and needs of more people. Um, they're thinking differently, which fosters innovation. And as you saw from my first example, has real impact on products and services that can result in greater market share and greater profit. Yeah. No, definitely. I mean, one of the issues that's popped up, I've had conversations in the last week with a couple of people around, there's so many companies focus on the, the hiring part of the equation. Like we need to adjust this, we need to hire more diversity, but then it, it, it seems like more of them are waking up to the idea like, oh, you have to create a culture that makes people want to stay. You also have to focus on the retention element of it too. And that seems to kind of get neglected in this mix. Stuart, as you were saying, like that, it's not, they're, 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 they're sort of, they're, they're catching up on that front. Um, what can companies do? Do they need to 
set up something internally, like so that they're they're taking. I, I I hate to use the term pulse survey or whatever, but I mean where there's some process internally that they're they're making sure pe- the culture is aligning with what people want that they want to stay. You know, no matter what their background or so on. I mean, where is that? Because it, it seems more people are awakening to the retention issue when it comes to yeah. DEI. Yeah, I would advise companies that are starting out on their DEI journey, do not focus on hiring at first. Because what will happen is you will hire an underrepresented talent and they will come into a culture that is not uh, set up for them to succeed and they will leave. And so I, you know, when we think about the DEI framework, I advise companies to start with the foundation of equity. Do you have baseline processes to drive equity in your hiring process, in your development process, and in your promotion process? Do you have inclusive benefits? Do you have inclusive healthcare plans? Do you have an anti-discrimination and anti-harassment policy that covers everyone? Um, So do you have foundational equity in your systems, processes, and programs? Once you do that, then focus on cultivating a culture of inclusion and belonging and use your L&D programs. Really invest in a strong ERG program and elevate and amplify the voices of your ERGs and empower them to create powerful moments of connection and learning and dialogue with the company. Uh, And train your leaders how to lead inclusively. And then once you have equity and inclusion and belonging, then focus on bringing in diverse talent and making them feel welcome and giving them clear pathways to success and promotion. Stuart, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, I want to I want to sort of double click on something that Jacob said around ERGs in particular. <clears throat> I remember sort of in 2020, people were saying, well, ERGs need to help us <laughs> to really help us solve this question. And I was like, well, that's probably not useful. Um, because ERGs are struggling with the amounts of societal information and news that's really hard, right? And so um, what I ask people to do is make sure that ERGs feel like they're a community and that they can turn to each other. Mm-hmm. And once that cup is filled, once that ERG is completely close-knit, understand, have had um, and shared vulnerable moments with each other, trust and support each other, then they can sort of look outwards, but build a community so that people can land. And, you know, a lot of people think about ERGs as um, sort of race or sexual orientation, but it could be, for example, I've had some really interesting ERGs around veterans um, because that is a community that is a population of people who are experiencing a lot of interesting um, and potentially harmful news and, and uh, you know, life experiences. And it intersects with so many different other parts of the, of, uh, of one of dimension of diversity. So um, look for in those ERGs intersectionality, as well as really create community in those areas. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. The, um, so, I mean, you've, you've underwent, this whole effort with Glassdoor. I mean, it's been obviously two two years since since this you began this journey. Where does it stand now? After all of this effort, where I mean, you had these two quests, sort of these two tracks, sort of running in parallel. Like, like what what's the situation today? 
Yeah. Um, we have we have come a long way in the two and three quarter years that we have been on this journey. I would say where we stand now is that we have completely rethought our learning and development programs, and we've been, we've set the expectation that inclusive leadership and the ability to have nuanced, informed dialogue around identity and race is a core leadership skill set at Glassdoor. Um, we have completely rethought our hiring process. That is, um, you know, increased our underrepresented hire rate by more than double. And we have rethought our promotion process. And one of the key process changes that we made around promotions is that we eliminated backfill promotions, which um, essentially is that when a leader leaves, um, a lot of companies have a, have a practice of sort of handpicking somebody on the existing team to take over that leader's position. And we, we discovered that this is a key way that bias and favoritism can play into who gets elevated into positions of authority. And so I'm really proud to say that we eliminated backfill promotions and instead we treat that vacancy like an open role and we open the position and we have internal and external candidates uh, that interview for the role and we pick the best person uh, for the job based on that. So that is eliminated bias. So when we think about driving equity, we've we've made a lot of the key process changes that drive equity. We've invested in inclusive leadership. We've invested in ERGs and have a, a sense of belonging. And in our last Pulse survey, the data showed that people of color have a higher belonging sentiment than the company average, which shows that we're doing something right in creating a sense of community uh, and a sense of inclusion uh, for underrepresented folks. And then, as I mentioned, uh, on the diversity piece, our URG hire rate um, went from about 15 uh, when I started to somewhere between 30 and 40 percent month over month. And we include in our definition of URG Black, Latinx, Asian, or, uh, uh, Native Hawaiian and Indigenous folks, and women in tech. And so we're seeing um, a lot of, uh, of change in outcomes because of the work that we've done. Now, we've talked about how important um, diversity in leadership roles are, particularly at the director plus and executive level. And this is also the hardest and the longest uh, term project to change. And so we still have a lot of work to do in diversifying our uh, leadership bench, but we're making steady incremental progress year over year. And so we're really seeing that the mindset shift and the process changes are coming together to create different outcomes. The fascinating thing that you, I mean, everything you just said, obviously is fascinating, but the, but something I really just locked on was the limit, the elimination of backfilling roles and how that sort of opens the pool. Up. Are the two of you seeing that as a, something that's more prevalent in kind of the industry and hiring in general, or is that something that is still relatively unique? Cause it seems like if you structure it correctly, that'd be something that really would open up the talent pool, especially for these, you know, like the, whether it's the boardroom or like these really tight knit engineering groups or whatever, that seems like it would shake things up. But I mean, is it something people are embracing or, or not so much? Um, I would say at Glassdoor, um, we, I think our leaders were, we, we call it spiritually aligned with the concept of doing it. But 
Um, and this actually gets into one of the things that I've learned being a DEI professional is that when a company is starting out on its DEI journey, um, the first steps are relatively easy to take. It's pretty easy for leaders to say, yeah, go ahead and create ERG programs and go ahead and rethink our, our leadership development programs and the way we teach. But it's a lot harder to commit to and stand behind structural process change um, that tells leaders they can't promote or hire whoever they want to anymore, and they actually have to follow an objective process. And sometimes uh, that means hiring somebody differently than they initially wanted to. And so this, uh, this change that said that our leaders can't just tap somebody and put them in a position of, of influence, uh, it did take some change management. And it took a recognition that the way we were operating actually perpetuated inequity. Um, and it does increase the time frame sometimes to backfill a position. But the question I ask leaders is we we accept that we're gonna <laughs> that it's gonna take some time to hire uh, all the time. So why can't we do it in these situations where we would historically uh, place somebody in a position? without a process. Why aren't we willing to accept that? And so the moral argument, the business argument ultimately went over. Um, and we do have, you know, we do have um, a process where if we have a pre-identified successor that's crucial to the business, um, we can promote them if they are pre-identified. But without that process, uh, we try to create an equitable hiring process for those roles. Stuart, what are you seeing on your end? I mean, is this backfilling? I mean, is it a major thing? Is it something you're seeing? Can't hear you. Sir, your, your camera's gone. Yeah. Sorry, how about, is this better? That works. Yep, yeah, perfect. Okay, great. Good. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, so, yeah, a lot of times, um, I think... Um, leaders are looking to to develop people that they trust, and so that backfilling is usually not is not something they want to go out and and um, have a lot of different people to vet and to go through that process. They're like, I've worked with this person for two years. I'm going to help them come up, and I'm invested in them. There's a personal connection. And so um, a lot of folks that are, a lot of companies that I'm seeing are struggling, to Jacob's point, in changing that mindset where you don't get to choose the person that you promote. Meaning you get to, you, you have to like go out and find the right person. And it's, it's, it's a struggle for a lot of leaders because they're mm -hmm. like, that's, the, that's one of the things that I get to do as a leader. That's, that's the benefit of being a leader. I get to build my team around me and they understand me as opposed to what's best for the business. And I think what Jacob was saying earlier is when you do, when you open um, the candidate pool, you'll find the person that's best for the organization as opposed to the person that's best for the leader that's trying to hire. And yep. it's still a struggle. It's still a struggle for a lot of leaders. I mean, I know a lot of leaders who are who are like, well, I don't care what you think. <laughs> I'm going to, I mean, not so much a glass door, but they're like, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to promote who I promote and that's just the way it is. I'm like, okay. You know, but that's, that's not in alignment with the values. And that's the biggest thing. Is it the value that you espouse? And are you in alignment with those values? Yeah. When we first rolled out this change at Glassdoor, I had leaders call me and say, well, I know that this person 
is the best for the job. Why do I have to go out and hire? And my response was, how do you know this is the best person? That's right. That's right. How do you know? And so there's this element of like, you don't get to choose anymore. The process will reveal the right person for the job and trust the process. And that has shown true time and time again. Yeah. 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 Trust the process. Hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I'll just say leaders um, are human like anybody else and they want to do the right thing, but they want to do the right thing that serves their interests as well as the companies. And so I think the process that Jacob is is talking about serves the company's interest first and then it's theirs. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. Cool. And that's it, folks. It's fascinating to talk about how tech companies are trying to evolve into becoming more diverse and inclusive workplaces. Here are some key takeaways from our discussion with Jacob and Stuart. First, DEI impacts everyone. Team leaders, project managers, and even C-suite executives might think they only need to be good at engineering products or making sure teams hit deadlines. But leadership is ultimately about having the skill and fluency to recognize diversity. You need to absorb and respond to people's individual experiences and culture. And if you can't do that, you're going to have issues with retention and your best and brightest will walk right out the door. Second, a formulaic approach to DEI just won't cut it. You need to make sure that team members respond to DEI initiatives on an emotional level. That way, they'll truly internalize what the organization is trying to teach. It's more than just KPIs. Third, DEI succeeds when it's working on three levels, the individual, the collective, and the systemic. You have to make sure that issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion are being addressed on every possible level, from the C-suite on down. And that's it, folks. Thank you for joining us. And remember, DICE is your best resource to find the tech talent you need to fill your open roles, and for technologists, the best place to grow your tech career. Thank you.